So as I mentioned, we aren't having a typical traditional preach today. Um, we're going to hear from three people, Devro, Roger and Eddie, about why they believe in Jesus. Before they come up, I just want to share a little bit about the power of testimony. Who loves hearing stories about how great Jesus is and what he does? See, there's power in hearing good news stories about what Jesus has done. And that is partly because, actually, there's enough bad news in the world. There's enough bad news in my life. You know, it's not all victory and wonder. But we have times where Jesus breaks through. We have times and moments where the kingdom of God breaks in and we see the power of God at work. We live in the now and the not yet, so there are times where it feels like it hasn't worked, but we know that actually it's just awaiting that time when he comes back and he will set all things right. But we talked a little bit, probably around about this time last year, about the power of just telling our story as a way of doing mission. It's not about trying to convince people about the truth of what we believe necessary, it's just telling our truth, our experience of what God has done in our lives that actually people can put a different spin on, a different interpretation on, but they can't tell you you're wrong because it's your story. It's what God has done in your life. And again, just thinking about testimony, I always think of Revelation chapter 12, where John talks about the great cosmic battle that is going on in this world. You know, we are in a spiritual war. Do you know it? We are in a spiritual war. And he... In Revelation 12, John has this to say, the great dragon was thrown out. The ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world, he was thrown to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So there's actually a spiritual impact as well in our lives. Even those of us who've come to faith in Jesus already, hearing each other's stories gives us keys to victory. Gives us keys to be able to win through and stay faithful to Jesus when life gets hard. It goes on to say, for they did not love their lives to the point of death. We're not in the sort of environment at the moment where we're asked to pay that ultimate price. But people have done, and they've done it because they've heard testimony of what Jesus has done in each other's lives. So I just wanted to set that scene. Listen with ears of faith today. Don't just listen to a nice story. Don't just listen to an encouragement, but listen to see the fingerprints and the footprints of God in each other's lives. Amen? We're going to kick off with Devro, who's really happy about kicking off. (laughs) We're going to be here for an hour. Is that okay? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I can't read my own writing, um, so I've typed it up this time. Um, But first, I just want to pray um, before I start, because... Just like we all know, um, we don't do this thing of our own, but of the Holy Spirit that's in us, that helps us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you that we are your children. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've given us. The comforter, our guide, our teacher. And because of him that we can do all things. And Father, just... As I share my story with the saints here, I pray that as I speak, that it'll be your words and not mine. I thank you right now, Father, as I commit everything to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What was the thing again you asked me to share? Why do you believe in Jesus? <laughs> you see, yeah, I know. Why do you believe in Jesus? The thing is, it we don't in our lives we don't go about you know people don't ask us why do we believe in Jesus. We know our lives meant to be um, that open book, 
right? And I think back when, you, when John asked that question, I said, why I believe in Jesus? I, I didn't think of it that way, um, why I believed in him, because I grew up in a Christian um, environment, and it was, was quite easy. I guess for some it's quite different. They, you know, we all came from different parts. When, when John raised that question, it, it took me back to say, okay, who is Jesus to me, no, rather than why I believe in him? Who is Jesus to me? And, you know, understanding God's word is quite important. Um, we cannot live a life uh, of God unless we know his will for us, and we cannot know his will except we know his word. So it's, for me, it's going back to the word. And, I start by saying, where did the word come from? Uh, we know in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And, you know, thinking of that, if we go back, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Back into Genesis, it takes us to realize that um, that's Christ, right? Because it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us back in that. And I'm saying, Jesus is the Word. The Word is in me. We have, well, this is a Word inspired, you know, by the Holy Spirit written. But this book alone, carrying it around, isn't going to do anything for us. You know, it's like having a car. You sit there, unless you use it, it's not going to be useful to you. Um, and I just, I, I just want to just go back and say, so where did the word come from? Um, and who we are in Christ, in that sense. In John 1, 12 to 14, it says, um, But as many as receive him, to them give the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And this is where it came back. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And in, in John, 1 John 3, 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Yeah. Um, apart from the word becoming flesh, which is Christ, that in order for me to um, have that experience of what it is like to follow Christ, not just follow Christ, but knowing that um, Christ came to die for us so that I, who God created, you know, I'm a descendant of Adam and all of that, that because of sin was separation. So in order to experience um, what it really is to that God created for us in the very instance, that fellowship he wanted that was broken because of sin. Christ came in, died, and not only that I am, uh, as we say, human, which is a wrong term, it's because we are spirit beings living in, a body, in, in this body. This body might, you know, it's, it's like saying, um, there's a new person living here, now, there's no more old dev, he's, he's gone, but the, the house is still the same. Doesn't matter. But I'm not worried about the house um, that I'm in. It's about who I have living in this house now. Um, as in the new me, not only that, God has set up his kingdom inside me in here, and as a spirit being, that I know that the life I have now, I don't live in the flesh, I live it in Christ. That sort of um, connection, knowing that I'm divine, I'm a divine being, I'm a spiritual being, that I, this, there might be physical things around going on, but I'm not affected by it because I'm operating as a different being in a different kingdom. And I, I think I shared it with some of you before, where I said, I see it like a, a diplomat, where he might be in here, but he's not governed by the things around that country. He operates here in that sense. And 
we are in this world, but not of it in that sense. And that's the way I um, come to understand in terms of what does Christ mean to me and, and the, the type of life I ought to live. You know, the, the, the word of God is sung, which we know. And it's, it's, it's simple. It's not complex. But in order to understand it, we need the Holy Spirit within us to help us understand. No wonder sometimes it's hard for the world to, you know, grasp what's going on. There, we know that, you know, as I said, the rain falls on the just and unjust. But there are spiritual principles that apply to us. And also, it affects them as well. Um, and in the sense of how people behave, as in the, they grasp that there are certain things, they call it, um, how would say, the, the universe might um, allow me to do it. And they manifest things by following principles that are biblical, that affects them as well as us. How much more us as the children of God to experience that, that sort of... Um, what we call those principles that will allow us to operate uh, and enjoy what God has blessed us with. Um, because one of the things that, you know, our source is, our solution is spiritual. So not natural forces, because sometimes we think, oh, this is going on here or that's going on there. And then we, we come so drawn out as separated from where we meant to operate. So it's like, remember I was telling you about the, the, the instance of being a diplomat in a country. Sometimes we try to come out of that presence, out of that kingdom that we meant to operate in. And sometimes we get tangled with the physical things of the world. Forget who we are, your spirit being. Walk in your own lane. <laughs> Stay in your own path. And I'm so glad that in, in the Bible, um, We've been reminded, and, and this is coming to the, the, one of the scriptures I, I have, um, and it's, it's for me, it says, Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, his own master work, a work of art, created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for the good works which God had prepared for us beforehand taking parts which he set, so that we would walk in them, living the good life which he has prearranged and made for us. We know Jeremiah 29 and 7. I know the, the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you, a, you know, all of that we know. But yet still sometimes we forget that, look, God has set this part for us. Walk in it. Because if the minute we do that, then we know our lives will be successful. Doesn't mean troubles come, because I see troubles as stepping stone to my success, St um, as a way of making me better, you know, sharpening me, so to speak. But I know in the sense, like I said, like a satnav, it always brings you back to that right path. Um, the word is like that. Uh, it's, it doesn't matter what, the outcome is the same. It's like a scene of film. Um, there's a star person in there, as we call star boy sometimes. It, he, he always comes out successful. You know the end outcome, right? Doesn't matter what he's going through, he's always going to win. And it's the same for us as Christian life. And that's what Christ means to me. I am always a winner. I will never lose. I've never disadvantaged, right? I always have the upper hand because I am, as it were, divinity. That's it, because I'm walking in that uh, divine life. The minute I keep pursuing that divine life, I'm going to experience what the scripture talks about, right? In First, Second, First Peter 2.9, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a consecrated nation, a special people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellence of the wonderful deeds and virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When, you, when, you know, when those words dawn on you in that sense that he's given you a life of glory, a glorified, a divine life, 
and, and your physical, as I say, this, this, this home, it might, be, it might be aging, but the man in you is getting better. <laughs> Doesn't matter, as in the, the true you inside the spiritually, it's getting better. You know, you, you have to stop behaving like you're nobody. You're, you're not ordinary, you're supernatural. You have to walk like a champion, talk like a champion, and act like that in that sense. And that's the way, coming back to what Christ means to me, that the life of Christ manifested in us is when that reality dawns on you, it makes you know that, look, it gives you kind of spring in your steps. For me, knowing that, look, I'm, I'm, I can't be disadvantaged at all because I'm a royalty, right? In the sense of, not like here on earth, but in that sense of knowing your father is God, the God of the universe. And he says, I have given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. What else do I need? He's given me everything. And, and that, that, that is a confidence I have. We, when we have that a- absolute confidence and independence, knowing that who we are in Christ, and knowing that Satan is under our feet, we need not worry. And I, I, I'll take that to go into some, just two instances in my life, you know, how God is so real. Back in, um, when I was in A-level, uh, not A-level, it was... Um, secondary school, I was worried about failing my, um, as in being promoted to the next class. And I worried so much to, to the point that I got sick and my mother had to, you know, bathe me. And that's obviously as a um, teenager, it's not, you know, I'm going to expect your mom to. Um, and from since that day, I stopped worrying about things because what it made me realize as in God spoke to me and said, you're worried about these things, but I'm able to do more. Now, the fact is, I failed in the sense of 49%, and normally you have to have 50% to go up. But I was promoted. So I'm there worrying whole, how many, six weeks plus for that period. And then, miraculously, being promoted. Got myself sick when I could have been enjoying that period. Another time in my life, uh, Cindy knows it well, I had this pain in, the, in my here, like appendicitis or, or gallstone. And I, say, look, I, I said to her, I know what this is like, child's birth. This is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, <laughs> well, yeah. Look, You're a big <laughs> But I... I, I <laughs> Look, it was so, so painful that you just, you know, you, you, can't, you can't even, the, the tears are, you can't even cry, you just, it just shuts you down. And um, I went to the, the doctor and he prescribed something for me. I took one, but then I said, look, the word of God says this, and I need to start utilizing the word. And I spoke to that thing. And you know what, sometimes it's like this in your life. You start using the word, and it seems like things getting worse. And that pain got, ooh. But it only lasts for five minutes, and then it stopped. And I never used any more of that medication at all. Because I was, I was adamant that if, if God says something about me, and his word is true, and his word is life, um, that I need to start standing on the word and exercising the word in, in my daily lives. And it's not the very first time I've done that. We've, I've done it in many situations where um, once I apply the word, I see the word as it says. <clears throat> God promised that his word wouldn't go, <clears throat> excuse me, wouldn't return to him void. And I've proven it time and time again that when you stand on the word, apply the word, it always comes to pass, right? And if I choose to operate in that realm of being, I'm a spirit being, don't be affected by what you see on your left hand or your right hand. Focus, knowing who you are in Christ, I always win. I'm not saying every day is perfect like that, but I know that when I stand on the word, 
I always, I always win. And th there's something I, you know, just want to end by saying, you know, it, get into how to make that happen. When God created the heavens and the earth, one of the things is he spoke. He said, let there be, right? Um, and it's, it's one thing to know the word up here is another it to apply the word, as in becoming practitioners of the word, so to speak. And as practitioners, be it, you know, in medicine, there are certain things that you do and certain principles that you follow, right? Like, for example, and um, if you think of Eddie, uh, knows he's an electrician. Now, there's earth and neutral and the life, right? You can't, there are certain ways that you have to connect the wires, otherwise you can have a fault and you can kill yourself, right? Uh, in, in medicine, there's, um, for or chemistry, there's acid and alkaline, there's acid water. You can't add water to acid. It has to be acid to water, right, A to W. In the word of God, there are certain things that we have to apply as well. And in, 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 in itself, speaking the word, it's not just knowing it, it's speaking it. Because if you don't say it, nothing happens. And that's one of the things I found out, that I can talk as much, I, I can read it, I can meditate on the word, but if I don't apply it as a practitioner, nothing happens. And it talks about that, that in scriptures. So my encouragement to you, based on you know, what Christ means to me, is that word became flesh, dwelt among us, set the example by his you know, doing, and if you say, do as Jesus, you know, just do as he did, operate like him, then you'll get the same results. And for me, that is it. God's word is powerful and it's guaranteed to be effective. Right? And when we speak the word of God, you are tapping into that initial uh, limitless power. Um, and it always works. Right? So that's my encouragement to you. I hope you... Go, up, go out there and become practitioners of the word as God has asked us to be. Yeah. Thank you. Now listen to Deborah, I couldn't help but think of 2 Corinthians 4, where Paul says this, we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're pers persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. He goes on a few verses later. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though the outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. That's the dynamic Devereux is talking about. There's, yes, stuff happens, life happens, but in Christ, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Thanks, Devereux. Roger. Hello, everybody. Yeah. I'm not used to standing in front. Believe me, I'm a man of few words. <laughs> so, yeah, um, John uh, told me, I think it was a month ago, um, about just speaking about your story. And um, something I thought about, and then um, I forgot. <laughs> so um, quite recently, um, I looked in my mail, and I was like, ooh, church is tomorrow. I have to prepare something. <laughs> so I was just shaking, like, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? So um, I told him that I will tell my testimony. So I've told it before. Uh, this was at uh, your place. I think you, you had traveled to Brazil. Um, so everybody wasn't here. So I just said, you know, let me probably tell everybody so that you never know who you can bless. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, what did I want to say? So, yeah, so um, I'm going to speak about ap apologetics. So, so briefly, so apologetics is really the defending of our faith. So, you know, as believers, we have to defend our faith. We have to stand up. Stand for it. So apologetics is, is a study. So what do you believe? So you believe in God. So why do you believe? So if somebody had to um, tell me that, I'd say, because the Bible says so, simply. 
you know, we're saved by, by grace through faith. Yeah? So number three, so it's communicating um, why you believe it. So testimonies are a good way to communicate why, why you believe what you believe, because it shows you know, some practical sort of uh, thing which God has done for you. So hence, that's why I'm sharing my testimony. Yeah, so um, background story. So I grew up a Catholic. Um, this was way back in Zambia and Africa. So my parents were Catholics. So I went through the whole process of um, catechism and all that for those who know um, Catholic stuff, which happens in the Catholic Church. I went through that, studied the Ten Commandments as well. So you had to recite that um, just before your catechism class. So did all that. Then my mother had a um, sort of awakening. She wanted more in Christ. She wanted to know more about God because she felt she wasn't getting what she was seeking for in, in the Catholic Church. So she came out of that and, you know, I followed. <laughs> you know, I had to follow. Um, my dad remained a Catholic. So she, um, she joined the Charismatic Church and um, she made relationships and she got to know the Lord in a, in a more personal way. She got baptized by the Holy Spirit. So I'm there with my mom. So I'm seeing, you know, everything happening. So, you know, I wanted more. I wanted what my mother, mother had because she had changed, you know, she had changed. I could see, a, you know, a feasible change in her. So, um, you know, I went through Sunday school. You know, I got baptized in Mission in Water. So through that, then I started being uh, more active in church, helping out because my mom always told me, you know, the way you sort of get involved is be part of the church, be part of what they're doing. You know, God will speak to you and uh, you, you, you'll grow. Hopefully you'll grow and, um, you know, grow your relationship with, with the Lord. So I did that for quite some years. And um, after that, a lot, so there was a lot of doing, a lot of doing stuff, a lot of doing stuff. Uh, I'm not a big, big talker, but I like doing stuff. So moved here. This was back in 2006 and um, went to uni and um, I fell sick. So this was during the next year, 2007. So there was a family friend who lived here. Um, I already knew that she lived here when I was in Zambia. So I knew that she was here in Swindon. So I, I, I always know that everybody's got a Swindon story. There's a reason why people come here. There's, there's a reason why people come here, yeah? So it's, probably because of work or it could be because of um, um, family or, or many different reasons. So uh, my reason wasn't so, so glorious why I moved here. So it was because I was sick. So I came to stay with my auntie, right? So I stayed with her for, for a bit of time. And, um, you know, the sickness just got worse. And uh, her being a nurse, she said that we have to take you to the hospital, right? So we went, we booked an appointment and that appointment was probably like two weeks later. And my aunt was saying, no, no, it's nonsense. You know, what if something happens to you uh, between these two weeks? So we went straight to the emergency unit. So I went there and they did some tests. Uh, I stayed overnight. I stayed actually, I think, yeah, two days or so. They did, did quite a couple of tests, went back home, but, um, Things weren't improving with my health. Um, I'd left London, you know, studying. So I was pretty worried, like, wow, you know, I need to get sick because I need to return back to my studies. I'd, I was studying accountancy in London, yeah? So my aunt said, no, 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 you can't go. You have to stick around, wait till your health improves, yeah? So um, went back to the hospital and um, they did some, some more tests and you know, they said that you have to stick around now for a bit longer. So, uh, you know, I stayed, I stayed in the hospital and this was probably about, um, probably about two or three weeks. And um, they, they didn't know what was wrong with me. They didn't know what was wrong with me because um, it was quite new to them. So they, they quarantined me and nope, none of the doctors, none of the doctors. And it was quite a scary period. Um, I remember being in, you know, one unit probably like for three days, just by myself, no windows or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, you know. And uh, whenever the nurses would come, you know, they'll be wearing that protective 
um, covering and all, all that stuff. So in, in, in this, I was like, well, you know, Lord, you know, where are you? You know, where are you, Lord? It seems that you're not here. So there I'm lying in my bed, you know, lights dim, where are you, Lord? But, you know, I could, I could hear his voice. I could hear his voice um, say, you know, don't worry, don't worry, I'm, I'm here. Even in the same quarantine period, in, in your quarantine, I'm here. You know, don't worry. So um, the, doctor, the doctor came some days after and, you know, delivered the diagnosis. They said that I had TB. So I began TB treatment and um, that happened for a bit of time. And then shortly after, I suffered from what you call Guillain-Barre syndrome. So what that does is that it, it gives you um, total muscle wastage from the lower parts of your bodies. So as a result, I lost the ability to walk, yeah? So which was a very scary period for me, yeah? So, here I am lying in the bed and they sent for my mother back in Africa. So my mother came, you know, and when I saw her, I, I cried. I just opened up and said, Mom, you know, look at what's happening to me. You know, God, it's like God is not here with me. You know, I've done all this. I've been to church. I've been an um, a athletic person. You know, why, why is all this happening to me? So um, she said, don't, don't worry about it, son. You know, just keep your faith in God, the same God who brought you to this country. He's going to take care of you. He'll sort you out, yeah? Because his word says so. His word says so. And you, and you read your Bible, you know his word, right? So, went through that TB treatment and the Gideon barrier as well. So I had, I, I remember I had two um, epidurals. Um, and I had a big fear because back in Africa, they always said that whenever you did have an epidural, there's a possibility you could die. Yeah, so... <laughs> I, I, I was really, really, really scared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd heard stories of people who'd gone to the hospital back home, you know, and they never came back. But I think, I don't know, probably it was the way they did things back then, <laughs> you know, back there. So, um, you know, yeah, I'm praying for my life. Um, but thank God, went through all that. Um, they managed to get the sample. Uh, then I went through... Through the treatment, I went on a wheelchair. You know, first time in my life, wow, you know, like I'm on a wheelchair. This is what it comes to, right? So, mom would be very, very, um, she'd come every day, every day, from Wooten Bassett, she'd come every day. That's why I really thank my mom, even to this day, I, I thank my mom for what she's done in my life. We'd go out, we'd go out for visits, um, she'd go to town, in the wheelchair, in the bus, yeah? So I'm like, wow, wow, I'm in a wheelchair, yeah? You know, they put me in the side of the bus where there's a, where there's a wheelchair, and people come in. So I, I would feel embarrassed. I would feel really ashamed. Like, this is, you know, like, this is life? This is what it's come to? And I said, God, you're, you're, you're my God in all of this. You're my God in all of this. Despite whatever I go through, you're my God in all of this. And... I know I'm going to walk again. I know. So, um, bit by bit, uh, started getting better to the glory of God. Went for physiotherapy. Uh, I remember uh, sitting down. You know, there, it was like um, like in a circle, like these AA classes, <laughs> not AA, but um, and they would ask each one of us, "What's your aims? What what do you want?" So I said, I want to walk again. I want to get married. I want to be able to do sports again, right? Because this is what I did, you know, and I want to be able to go back to that and even do better. And I said, wow. I said, yes, that's what I want. And I'm going to do it. And, you know, bold with faith, this is, this, this is me, you know, believing the God I serve. This, believing the God I serve. Glory of God, um, I got better. I got discharged and came out of hospital. Here's another, another issue. I was homeless. Yeah, because I came from London. I lost all my stuff, most of my stuff. I was here in Swindon. Didn't know, didn't have any house, anything like that. So went to the council. 
applied for housing. I got a house in County Road. So, so this, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to tell you know, anybody at all because I believe in telling. That's where people are blessed. You know, I can't be embarrassed for, for God. I can't, I can't be. I can't be. So, um, got a house, stayed there for two years. During those two years, getting back into the system, uh, I went to do voluntary work, um, Oxfam. This is just in the high street, just up where um, the Savoy is, just in town. Um, so did that for a bit to get into the system. Lovely people, got social skills back, um, reapplied for accounting. But I said, no, this is not for me. And I went and studied something else, creative arts. So I did that, finished. During that period, you know, I met the Barnwells. And through the Barnwells, I met my wife. Um, that's how I got married. So these people are very, very special to me. Very, very, very special to me. Um, got married, um, had, had Rochelle and everything. And, you know, life has continued. I mean, to the glory of God, you know, that sickness was 16 years ago, you know. And I always tell that story, always, always, because I believe that was the turning point of my faith, yeah, in the Lord. Because if he can make me walk, he can do anything else. Yeah. I was in a wheelchair. I was in a wheelchair. Yeah, but I'm standing. So, it's funny. So, even Rochelle was asking me, oh, dad, you know, um, you're going to talk this morning. So, I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, oh, what if you feel nervous? What if you, what if you shake? What if you forget what you're going to say? I said, no, I won't. I won't. You have to, whenever the time comes for you to tell what God has done for you, be ready at all times, right? So even yourself, there'll be a time, even with your friends at school, in your own way, you tell them that God is real. God is real because the Bible says so. And in your work with the Lord, you know the why. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope that encourages somebody. Yeah. yeah? Eddie. I don't really like doing this. Because um, <laughs> it started already. <laughs> First, I want to apologise. I do cry. Always. But it's because I'm overwhelmed yeah. in what Jesus has done for me. I wasn't a very nice person. In actual fact, I was horrible. I was horrible to people. I didn't like people. I was always in control. Didn't want anything to do with God. Didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Didn't like the guy. Didn't like the words. I persecuted quite a few people who wanted to speak like that. Um, but then on the 21st of November, <laughs> 1993, I was supposed to be doing a big job, very big job, and at six o'clock in the morning it got cancelled. Now I used to work 24, you know, seven days a week, 16, up to 12, 16 hours. I was always at work. But this Sunday, well, it was a Saturday morning, it was cancelled, so I thought to say to Brenda, right, okay, we go away for the weekend. No, I'm not going away for the weekend. She had just been saved. She said, no, I want to go to church. Well, that to me was, you know, like a kick in the teeth, really, because I wanted to go away for the weekend. We didn't go anywhere, because I was always at work. And for some reason, God wanted me to go. And we, 
you know, the worship, I love worship. The worship was brilliant. But and then the preacher starts talking. And while he was talking, it was a guy called Steve Blaber who we got on very well in the end. But he stood there and he said, I feel like there's some people here who want Jesus in their life. Well, I just laughed. I thought it was hilarious. I said, and I've done something that in the Bible it tells you not to do, naturally, and that's tempt God. <laughs> so I said, I don't believe in you. Jesus is a good fictional character in a book. All that type of thing, you know, the normal things that non-Christians who don't want to be saved or anything come out with and then it I said as I said you know I don't believe you if you want me you'll have to prove it and boy did he do that <laughs> immediately one guy went forward now there's a little story before that, when I was a little boy, I was a right terror. Really. <laughs> and I was always dirty, you know, because we're... <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, um, my next door neighbour was very, very house proud. And my mum was always at work. So I was never allowed to have a key because I'd have all my mates in. Anyway, so I used to have to knock next door to my Aunt Luce, who I said was very, very house proud. And she used to make me take the, my shoes off at the front door and leave them in the porch way. Right? And then she'd have newspaper all the way up the hall. <laughs> And then she'd have her seats with newspaper on it so that I had to sit on it. That's the type of person she was. Anyway, um, on that Saturday night that I didn't go to work, my sister asked if I would take my mum to my Aunt Lucy's 80th birthday. Anyway, so we went and just as a joke, I walked up cuddled her, and I said, it's all right, Aunt Luce, I'll put my sho shoes by the door. So, we go to church, and this guy goes forward, immediately after I tempted God, and he said, I've had a strange picture of a terraced houses with a porch, and it's got a pair of shoes outside the door. One brown, one black. He said, this guy, he said a guy, didn't say a woman, he said, this guy's got to make a choice. So I thought, hmm, sounds familiar. But what else? Then a, a young woman went forward who, again, we got on very well with afterwards. And she said, I've seen a picture. She said, there's a, a person in the building trade who live, who's here today and he's been building walls against Jesus Christ. And every time that man puts, sorry, every time Jesus takes a brick off to reveal himself, this guy immediately puts two bricks back on to cover over. He said, she said, but this day, Jesus is coming and he's going to knock the wall down. Well, <laughs> that's when it happened. I just broke down. I was an absolute wreck. 
And I've never been like that in my life. I've always been in control, always. You know, I was the man. You know, no one could do anything about me because I was the man. And that was all through my youth. You know, people respected me, people because of who I was and what I had been doing in the East End. And then it happened. A young girl went forward. And I'm still this wreck. Brenda's asked, you know, she's looking around to see what could happen. Two guys came over and started praying for me. And then this young girl went forward and she... She said something extremely personal. And no one should have known only God. Because, you know, even my mum or Brenda wouldn't have known what it was about me. You know, the, my actual thoughts and everything. Anyway, that was the 21st of November 1993. It was a big day for me. And I've never looked back since. The following day I went to work <laughs> and at 12 o'clock as you know most guys were quite um, not fearful of me but they wouldn't say too much to me because they were a bit worried what would happen to them. Um, so one guy who he was mad anyway he turned around to me and he said right this was at 12 o'clock when we had a break. He said, all right, what's going on? What's happened over the weekend? So I said, what do you mean? So he said, well, he said, he said, I've got to say it. He said, you ain't swore at anyone, you ain't whacked anyone, and you ain't sacked anyone. <laughs> he said, so something's happened. He said, because that's not you. He said, first off, your mouth is foul. He said, and it ain't today. He says, so something's happened. So I'll just, as Devro said, I just told him I took Jesus into my life yesterday. Mm. Well, everyone was, was ecstatic. They all thought, what's this man on like, you know? And he went, you? He said, if, if God wants you, if God has taken you, he said, he'll take anyone. <laughs> and I said, and I said, Yes, and he'll take you lot and all if you want them. That was, that's my testimony for that. As for healing, um, in 1995, I had a near fatal accident. I was doing a job in a BT place. We was doing a fire alarm and we didn't have a ladder tall enough so we used BT's ladders which are oak and it took two of us to carry the thing. I opened it up and when you're an electrician you measure with your mind so I had to put tubing for a fire alarm because it was going to be a battery room and it had to be you know secure. So, my apprentice went and got drinks. Now this part of the exchange was empty. There was no one there working or anything like that. So he'd gone and got a drink and he went downstairs to get something out of the van. And as I come down the steps, we, I'd put the drink by the, underneath of the ladder because sometimes you just, you know, Tread on them. Something happened, I did tread on it. Slipped over, kicked the bottom of the ladder, came down, smashed my face. He rushed me to hospital. Um, when I'd done it, I just said, oh Lord, I need help, Jesus. 
And somewhere from nowhere came this guy. And he said, oh, you all right, mate? And I was bleeding. And I mean bleeding. I sat on a chair like that. And the whole of the bottom of the chair was black with blood. Ambulance guys come. One of them looked at me face and he said, what's happened? And I said, something's fell on me face. So they, and I couldn't lay on me back because I was bleeding so much. Right? So he said, what I want you to do is just sort of um, lean on the, on the stretcher. So I was on, on my knees and my hands. And he put this great big wodge around my face. Um, when I got to the hospital, that was absolutely sopping with blood. I'd lost so much blood. Laid, put me in a, um, in a bed. And this poor nurse, I'll never forget her. It was her first ever day on emergency. She had a nice, new, crisp uniform. And your stomach cannot stand too much blood. It will stand a little bit, but the amount I was losing, of course, had gone into my stomach. And I said, I'm going to be sick. Because all she was there to do was suck this blood out of my mouth all the time because I was bleeding so much. And I was violently sick. And a poor woman was absolutely covered in blood. She screamed, this man needs help. <laughs> and that's when I passed out. But I could still hear and feel everything they were doing. Anyway, the consultant came, AE consultant, and he said, where's the neck thing? Because I've done me face in, like, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And there was absolute mayhem in that room. Anyway, they called in a specialist from Queen Mary's Hospital at uh, Roehampton, which was some, you know, top maxophilia place. And he sewed me up. And I've got two evidence. I've got a cross on my lip and I've got a bend on my nose where the, the ladder actually went straight across. Um, my apprentice didn't think I would, he said, the A&E guy, before the consultant came, said, oh, he's just broken his nose. Nothing much, all that sort of stuff. Anyway, when the consultant saw, saw me, he said, I think we better get, the, get your wife here, because we're not too, uh, you know, too certain what's gonna go. When Brenda came in, I had a mark around my neck here, where the blood had seeped through. Oh, I, I was in the right state. That was on the Thursday. Brenda told Lindsay, who then had a prayer meeting for me. My prayer, meet, my prayer group at our church was praying. Wimbledon was praying. There was five churches praying for me on the Thursday night. <laughs> on the Friday, they wheeled me down to the Maxophilia because they'd moved me to Queen Mary's or St Mary's, I don't know what it was called. It was a long time ago. And they wheeled me down in a bed because I couldn't walk, I was so weak. And they take, there's a special thing for your, your head, x-ray machine that comes from the back all the way round and they take the whole skeletal. And they said, 
that I had five massive breaks in my facial skeleton. And they said to Brenda, can you bring in a photograph what he did look like? Because my face was out here. And uh, that was on the Friday, as I said. On the Saturday, Mr. Blinkinsop, I'll always remember his name. <laughs> he was some top, top man, you know, he'd just come back from Jordan where he was working. And uh, he wanted an x-ray, but on the Saturday, I felt perfectly all right. I got up, had a shower, got dressed, started walking around, didn't, couldn't, couldn't believe it really. The nurse in charge, she was, uh, she said, come on, you, you know, you should be walking about now. You're perfectly all right, if you had a shower and everything else. She was very sympathetic. <laughs> but I had to see this blinking stop and I walked three quarters of a mile down a corridor to the clinic, the same clinic that they had willed me to. The receptionist was dumbfounded. She said, oh my goodness. She said, You've walked? So I said, yes. She said, well, how comes? You know, you were so ill yesterday. I said, I don't know. Anyway, Blinkensop took another x-ray and he's looking at the x-ray and he said, looked at the ones from the Thursday and he said, get me the proper x-rays. So I looked over and I said, has not that got Eggleston on it? Well, that's me. So he said, that's impossible. He said, on this one, you've got massive breaks. On this one, he said, you've got hairline cracks. He said, that's impossible. So I said, because I was a new Christian, nothing's impossible with Jesus. I said, I've had, I've had five churches praying for me. So he just sat there and he went, oh, really? So I said, yes. So he said, well, I don't believe in Jesus or religion. He said, I'll put it down as a phenomena. <laughs> so I said, can you give me the definition of phenomena? So he said, what do you mean? So I said, well, I know the definition of phenomena. It means miracle. <laughs> I said, and Jesus is miraculous. That's why I believe in Jesus. Yeah. I've been asked why I believe in Jesus. And there was a little thing that I found the other day. On the cross, Jesus prayed out, it is finished. <sighs> this means that my past life was gone. Although I still rem remember it, <laughs> I remember it very well. And that's why I get so upset, because I'm so amazed. Why me? Yeah. You know, I can't understand sometimes. I think to myself, you know, the things that I've done. Because the enemy, he does it all the time, doesn't he? He keeps saying to you, well, you wasn't that type of person, was you? You, you know, you, you keep giving it all this, that you're a nice person now. He said, but you wasn't a nice person. And I wasn't. I know that. But I know one thing, that when God comes into your life, you are totally and utterly changed. Whoever you are, right? And then I'll, I'll write, write this. 
I know my past has been taken on the cross by one person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, who paid the price freely for me. God the Father gave him to pay this price and the Holy Spirit lives within me to prove it. And I hope that I can keep speaking, although through tears. But never ever be embarrassed about telling what you are or who you are and what he's done for you because he's, he's such a nice guy and he's always with me. That's the thing. He never leaves you or forsakes you because he says it in his word. He never ever leaves you or forsakes you. That's my testimony. Thank you very much. We're going to close in worship because I don't see how we can't, to be honest. Uh, We're going to worship Jesus. We're going to glorify him. Hearing Eddie's story, I'm just reminded of that woman who goes into the Pharisee's house while Jesus is eating there, starts weeping, washes Jesus' feet with her tears, and then dries his feet with her hair. And the Pharisees are astounded. And Jesus' summary of it is just this. She has been forgiven so much. And so she is loving so much. Those who have been forgiven little, love little. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. That explains Eddie's heart to my mind. May the Lord show us just how much we've all been forgiven so that our hearts can abound with love. Should we stand and worship him?